The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is sponsored by UnityVillage.org. Songwriter Karen Drucker returns to Unity Village with A Woman's Time Out Retreat, September 19th to 22nd. Learn more at UnityVillage.org forward slash events calendar. Hi, I'm Elaine Meyer, editor of Daily Word magazine. Always remember that Christmas is more than a date on a calendar. It's a feeling we carry in our hearts all year long. On behalf of the editorial team, blessings to you and yours this holiday season. Learn how to eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. You know what it's like when you've just had a big party and you had so much fun and everybody left and there's just kind of stuff around, you know, cups and bottles and leftover plates That's a little bit the situation I'm in now because I just finished a Main Street Vegan Academy. In fact, it was a very special one. It was our 25th week-long intensive here in New York City to train and certify vegan lifestyle coaches. And everybody left about an hour ago, and I am kind of in the afterglow of, oh my goodness, this means there are 400 people in 28 countries carrying this wonderful message as coaches and educators and entrepreneurs, and I'm so happy to be part of that. You know, I don't have any grandkitties, but I sure have 400 vegan lifestyle coaches and educators out there in the world, and that is pretty fabulous. I'm Victoria Moran, your host for this program. So, so happy to have you with us today. This is our 2018 holiday episode, and wonderful to have you around for that. After the um, break, J.L. Fields, whom I know you all love, is going to be coming on with her brand new book, Vegan Meal Prep, and we're also going to be borrowing a little something from Oprah's network show that she used to do her favorite things every year at Christmas time. Well, we're going to do our favorite kind of cruelty-free and healthy and fun things uh, for you to think about and maybe include on your gifting list this year. And right now, a gift to you and really to all of us is to get to speak with a remarkable young man, remarkable lineage, but also in his own right, and that is Ocean Robbins. Ocean is the CEO and founder of Food Revolution Network, one of the largest communities of healthy eating advocates on the planet. He and his community of half a million plus members are standing for healthy, ethical, sustainable food for all. He's the grandson of Baskin Robbins ice cream founder uh, and also the son of best-selling Diet for a New America author, John Robbins. Welcome, Ocean. Well, thank you, Victoria. I feel very welcome and I'm thrilled to be with you and everybody who's listening right now because we all know food is the foundation of health and uh, we want to use food as a tool to support our well-being, our thriving and the world we want to create. Exactly. And you are doing that 
not only with your network, but also with your beautiful new book, 31 Day Food Revolution, Heal Your Body, Feel Great, and Transform the World. And a friend of ours, Dr. Joel Furman, has written your foreword. So what inspired you to get into the book writing business? <laughs> well, I do come from a family that's got a little history there. As you know, my, <laughs> my dad, John, has written books that have sold over 2 million copies, and many would say helped to ignite uh, the modern health food movement. And so I grew up uh, incredibly inspired by his example. Um, but I also, uh, to be honest, I've been working online for the last seven years, building a global movement primarily through online telesummits and classes. And I realized we needed a book because we needed something that everybody could read any day of the week whenever they want it. And, you know, cancer doesn't care a heck of a lot how much you know how many podcasts you listen to, how many books you read, how many classes you take, but it definitely cares what you eat. And I think that for a lot of people, what we're struggling with is not knowing what to do. It's doing what we know. And so I wanted to bridge that gap with a book that focused on action. So there are 31 chapters in my book, and every chapter ends with uh, a simple step you can take to put what you're learning into action. Because at the end of the day, that's what makes the difference. It does indeed. Well, let's start with uh, something from each one of, of your sections. Let's start with vote with your dollars. How do we do that? Okay. Well, you know, a lot of people care about the world around us and have gotten pretty cynical because we've got a world that's got some big problems and it can feel overwhelming. But food happens to be one place where uh, you really can make a powerful impact. In fact, it's not even a question of whether or not you make a difference. It's what kind of difference you're going to make. So with your dollars and with the food choices that you make, you're essentially casting a vote day in and day out for the kind of world you want. So when you choose to eat lower on the food chain, when you choose to support organic foods, when you choose to support more local farmers, you are casting a vote for a more sustainable, a more healthy, a hum more humane food system. And the standard American diet not only gives us the standard American diseases, but it's also the central driving factor behind climate change, behind depletion of our water supplies, behind depletion of our topsoil. It threatens our ability to grow food for future generations. And when you choose to take a stand with your food dollars for the world that you want, you help stop poisoning farmers in the fields. You stop animals from having to be tortured in factory farms and you help to create a more sustainable climate for future generations. All that while you're also contributing to your own health and those same food choices can make you less likely to suffer from heart disease and cancer and type two diabetes and dementia as your life goes by. So I call that a win-win. Well, I would say it's a win-win and then some. So fantastic. So we're going to vote with our money and then we're going to move from your first, I love your sections. They're detoxify, nourish, gather and transform. That's pretty beautiful. So in the nourish section, I like this one, is breakfast sabotaging your day? Because I think so often, particularly among vegans, plant-based eaters, we can go out and find some really interesting food, most parts of the world these days. But breakfast, it's kind of like the oatmeal that is maybe instant. So how do we keep breakfast from <laughs> sabotaging our day? Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one for a lot of people. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I start my day, I want to get going. I've got things I want to do, people I want to see, appointments to keep. And the last thing I want to do is spend an hour toiling away in the kitchen. 
So uh, one of the top tricks is to make breakfast the night before uh, so that you're ready to go. Sometimes lunch as well if you're going off to work for the day. Um, I do that and it really serves me. And then uh, I've got a few top tips for breakfast. Uh, One of them is you can actually go with last night's leftovers. Now, I hope you don't hate me for saying that, but sometimes dinner Mm -hmm. was really good. So just because it's breakfast doesn't mean your body doesn't still love, you know, some quinoa with a nice curry sauce and some steamed veggies or whatever it is that you may have had. So I love to um, sometimes have breakfast be just basically wonderful, awesome, fabulous food. And then other times we want something more breakfasty. So one of my favorites is I will soak uh, some chia seeds in uh, unsweetened soy milk, or you can also use coconut milk or a nut milk of your choice. And uh, soak that overnight uh, with some blueberries, frozen or fine, some vanilla, maybe a splash of maple syrup, uh, sometimes a little seasonings like cinnamon or nutmeg or allspice, uh, maybe some chopped up banana. Mix all that up, soak it overnight, and you've got a wonderful omega-3 rich, protein rich, fiber rich, phytonutrient rich, brain boosting power breakfast. Well, you do have to chew well if you're doing chia seeds, but they're so good for you. Yeah. So that's, Wonderful. That, that's an example. And then, you know, you can also do an overnight soak with oatmeal and mix in lots of yummy things. Nuts are great with breakfast, too. Um, th- there's a lot of wonderful ideas I share in my book. But uh, one of the top tips is really planning ahead. That's what can make such a big difference. I like that. And we did something similar to what you're talking about this morning for the Academy. I feed everybody breakfast each of the days because I learned in the first class that if you don't feed people, you can't start on time. So today was overnight oats day, but I didn't really do it overnight. Sometimes that makes it a little bit too soft and soggy. So I got up about 5.30, knew everybody was showing up around 8, and kind of that two and a half, three hours was really good with the muesli and the dried fruit. The nuts were still crunchy. Really good start. Okay, now we are moving right along to gather. And I think this is really where people who are kind of different drummer diners run into some of the most difficulty because we want to be with our friends and family that we love, who eat differently, who see things differently. We don't want to argue. So gathering can be a little bit of a challenge. And you say that one thing you can do to make this better is find a healthy eating ally. Who is that and where do we find this person? Well, first of all, uh, one of the places where I think a lot of the popular nutrition and diet programs and books out there kind of fail us is they treat us like we're lone wolves when we're not. Humans are very social creatures. And so I dedicated an entire part of my book to the social and human side of food because, as you're saying, Victoria, the, 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 uh, that's where a lot of people slip up. You know, when, when you're surrounded by loved ones, maybe even immediate family members, who eat very differently than you do, it can be difficult to stay true to your values and not come off like you're some kind of a party pooper. You know, it's not fun to have people all celebrating a cake or a turkey and getting all excited about it. And you're sitting there thinking, well, that doesn't look like food to me, if that's how it is, you know, or just feeling restrained or feeling like you're missing out on the fun because you're not able to participate. And so uh, a lot of a lot of plant-based eaters resort to sort of vegan junk food to try to feel comfort to try to feel connection and not feel like they're missing out. But then, of course, they're taking a toll on their health and their well-being. 
So um, I think that developing strong, positive social networks around healthy food is absolutely critical. Most people I know feel a little bit lonely, a little bit isolated, like as if some kind of our uh, basic uh, humanity, our basic human nature is somehow lost now that we don't have the kind of tribal existence that our ancestors did. And I'm saying that healthy food can actually be an opportunity to kind of reinvigorate that. So you can find a healthy eating ally, which would be somebody who is going to support you in your food journey. If you want to make changes in your life, if you want to take steps in a healthier direction, you can ask somebody that you trust, that you respect, if they'd be willing to back you in that. They may or may not already eat the way you want to move towards. If they do, that's fabulous. But if they don't, then they can still be a friend to you to stand for your process if you think they're a good ally for that. And then you say, hey, can I, you be an accountability buddy for me? Help me think through challenges. If you're going to your, your, your parents for Thanksgiving, then you can ask them for some advice in advance, help, help you think through how to be true to your values and, and you know, not come off like a Grinch on Christmas. And, uh, and so that, that's one place where a healthy eating ally can really shine is just somebody to turn to for support, but also to celebrate your, your, your successes with you. If you feel like you're doing well, if you've lost some weight, if you've got a month on a new diet program and it's really working for you, you can tell them about it and they will be someone you know will celebrate with you. So finding somebody in your life that you can turn to as a resource you could call them a healthy eating alley and ask if they're willing to adopt that role more officially. Now, that's a wonderful thing, and it's good to play that role, too, especially if uh, somebody is doing something a little different from you, you know, uh, a raw person and an Ayurvedic person. You know, they're going to be eating some different food, but they can still support one another on the journey. So I like that a lot. Now, I said I'd only pick one from each segment, but I'm going to be a little bit greedy here and gather and ask you about a really beautiful uh, chapter title that you have, The Stunning Neuroscience of Gratitude. Stun us. <laughs> well, you know, it's well known that people who are expressing gratitude are generally happier and healthier people. But I always figured that was because they had a lot to be grateful for. And so, of course, they were expressing it. Um, what's remarkable is that it actually goes the other way, that when you express gratitude, you actually make things better. And I don't just mean that they feel better. It's not just like you're, you're focusing more on the half full side of the glass, and so you have more satisfaction with it. The fact is that the glass actually gets fuller, remarkably enough. Uh, there's a lot of science on this showing that people who take time to write down three things they're grateful for at the end of the day, people who express gratitudes in the morning, people who express gratitudes to loved ones, actually have better health outcomes. Their marriage survival rates increase. Their general well-being increases. They have less adrenaline and less fight-or-flight uh, hormones in their brains. They have more of the hormones we associate with peace, with tranquility, with ease, and with longevity. Their risk of heart attack goes down. So taking the time to express your gratitude and to contemplate what you have to be thankful for actually gives you more to be thankful for. I love that. And I also love it when science proves something that metaphysical people and spiritual people have been saying for millennia. 
Me too. And and one of the beautiful things here is that gratitude is a wonderful way to connect with other people. We even have a tradition, many of us, around the dinner table of giving thanks. So if you can institutionalize that and make that a regular thing, we do in our family, often when we're sitting down to a meal, we just all say something we're thankful for. And it's amazing how often we end up giving thanks for things that relate to one another. So uh, my kids say, thank you. I'm thankful that you made us dinner. And Aww. suddenly I feel like appreciated <laughs> instead of taken for granted. So it's a beautiful thing, uh, gratitude and thanksgiving. And um, it, it really can be a point of connection and bonding and help a whole family system to be healthier and happier. Oh, that's so nice. Well, then I'm just going to say that I am grateful for your dad. I have known <laughs> him for probably 35 years now. And my fondest memory is we were both speaking somewhere. And my daughter, who is now all grown up, was maybe two, and she always hated shoes and socks. I mean, really hated them to the point that if reincarnation was true, I know she was a Chinese woman with bound feet in her past life. I mean, she was really phobic about that from the time she was little tiny. And your dad, who had just written Diet for a New America and everybody was clamoring for his attention, sat down on the floor of a hotel suite and talked to her about shoes and about what a nuisance they are, but we all have to wear them. And he had that wonderful, soft voice, and he could really look at her and listen to her point of view. She put on the shoes. We went to the conference, and it was amazing. So little gratitude from a long time ago that I will never forget. Oh, well, so I, I, he came back from that trip and told me what a wonderful daughter you had. And I Aww. always hoped I'd get to meet Rachel someday. <laughs> well, you might someday because yes. she's touring the country as an aerialist. So she's uh, out there um, flying through the air with the greatest of ease because you, know, you eat <laughs> good food and you have energy to spare. So let's get into part four of, of your wonderful book, 31 Day Food Revolution. So I want to put a couple of the first chapters to, um, in this section together and ask you about GMOs and organic food. Because I hear from a lot of the plant-based physicians, you know, that's just too far to take people. Just get them off the super processed foods. We've never known anybody to die of GMOs. Organic is out of the budget of a lot of people. Just don't go there. Do you go there? I do go there, and I'll tell you why. Um, <laughs> okay. First of all, given the choice between or an organic donut and non-organic kale, go with the kale. Uh, <laughs> There is no question about it. My local Whole Foods sells all sorts of things that are growing organically that I wouldn't touch. Um, I wouldn't want to put near my kids' mouths, you know. Um, but at the same time, um, when you, if you, for those who can afford to go organic, uh, particularly with what Environmental Working Group calls the dirty dozen, which are the most pesticide-contaminated foods, it really does matter. Um, there are studies showing a correlation between consumption of the pesticides that are uh, sprayed on our conventional food crops today and higher rates of cancer, um, uh, sometimes significant in some studies. Um, and they also have significant environmental impact. The life expectancy for farm workers in the state of California was recently pegged at 49 years. They're oh, dying in droves of cancer and they're kind of mm -hmm. like the canary in the coal mine in a sense. Um, it doesn't take a coal miner to realize that if something's causing our farm workers to die of cancer, 
then it probably isn't good for the consumer either who's actually eating the stuff. So um, no question, uh, the first step is to eat whole real foods and base your diet around plants. And then where they're sourced matters, how they're growing matters. And for those who want to take that next step, moving towards more organically growing foods is a really smart idea. Now, talking GMOs for a second, since you brought that up, you know, there have been a lot of misconceptions put out about GMOs. Monsanto, now owned by Bayer, Syngenta, the other biotech companies behind this technology have told us they would give us bigger yields, more drought-resistant crops, um, better nutritional profiles, uh, that they would, you know, help to feed a hungry world, um, and at the end of the day, they, and, and that they would give us lower pesticide use. But at the end of the day, so far, 25 years into the mass cultivation of GMO crops, they haven't done any of that. What they've got us is crops that essentially have two traits. One is that they can be pesticide producers. They literally produce the insecticide BT in every cell of the plant, so you can't wash it off. And the other is that they are herbicide tolerant. So we're now spraying our crops with massive amounts of glyphosate, the active ingredient in Monsanto Bayer's Roundup. And uh, glyphosate is a probable carcinogen, an endocrine disruptor. It's also been patented uh, as an antibiotic. So what's the impact of human beings of eating this stuff? Well, we don't entirely know, but there's a pretty good chance that it's increasing our risk of cancer, it's contaminating our environment, and, uh, and it may even be damaging the bacteria in our digestive tracts, which could be one of the causal factors behind the dramatic rise in food allergy rates in the last generation. So do we know for sure that GMOs are bad? Not necessarily, but I think we know pretty confidently that glyphosate is not our friend. I don't know anyone who wants to sit down and drink the stuff. And GMO agriculture uh, is, is contaminated with it in very large quantities. Uh, now, most of the GMO crops are being fed to livestock and not to humans. So actually, remarkably enough, if you want to see less glyphosate sprayed on our croplands and contaminating our water supplies, the number one step you can take is to eat less feedlot meat. That is fascinating. And the allergy connection is so interesting. I mean, I see it all around me. I remember when I was a kid, there was one child in the school who had allergies. She was the kid with allergies. You know, I mean, she had a reputation. This was unique and unusual. And now practically everybody has a stuff they can't eat. And, and that's very interesting that there might be a GMO connection. So, Ocean, I want to ask you, a controversial question because you have a chapter here that says make your food cruelty free and you're not necessarily saying be vegan you're certainly not telling people not to be vegan but I know that you're trying to reach the whole wide world and a very broad audience so tell us about this chapter and about how you see that well I think that um, we need to move in a more plant-based direction and when we look at the blue zones, which are the places in the world where people have traditionally lived the longest and healthiest lives, they are, um, you know, generally in the blue zones getting between zero and five or ten percent of their calories from animal products. In the United States, we're at 34 percent. And so at the broad picture level, I'm saying we need to eat a whole lot less meat for our health and for our planet. And I totally celebrate the vegan choice. And I also celebrate people who choose to move in a plant-based direction. I think that, you know, that, that it's all about steps we take. And I'm, I'm a big tent kind of person. So my passion is in helping people move where we need to go as a society and be part of the food revolution. And I think somebody who chooses to eat less processed junk and 
less added sugars and more whole plant foods is part of the revolution. And somebody who chooses to be a be a raw vegan is part of the revolution. And we you know we all have a part to play, and we all have to find out what works best for us given our ethics, given our values, given our ecosystem, given our life stage, our health history, so many other factors. And so I'm a big fan of people learning to listen to their own body wisdom and follow that and also learn from the science, learn from the medical studies, learn what what the data tells us. So um, so and, and the reality is that when you move in a whole foods plant based direction, you help free up precious resources so that we can grow more food for future generations. You help to re avert climate change. And so I'm, I want to help us all vote with our knives and forks for the health we want and also for the world we want. So for those of us who are very committed ethical vegans, how do we communicate with people who are interested in eating more plants, but they're not where we are? Just give us a little conversational guidance, and we have like a minute and a half, so it won't be a lot okay. of guidance. So the first thing I would say is remember we're all on the same team. And... Uh, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King said, you have no moral authority with those who can feel your underlying contempt. So treat people Ooh. with respect <laughs> and let them know that you love them no matter what they eat. And because ultimately in all relationships, the love that's underneath it is fundamental to our ability to have impact and uh, positive interaction. And then from there, you can always find places. If you're wanting to share what your values are or support somebody, ask them if they want to hear about it. Tell them what your light lit up about. Tell them what you're passionate about. Um, and, you know, example is the highest uh, contagion. So let yourself be a living, embodied example of the vitality and the mission and the love that you bring into the world. That's beautiful. Thank you. Now, how do we join the food revolution? Join the food revolution by going to 31dayfoodrevolution.com or simply getting my book at any local bookstore. Uh, you can order it. It actually isn't out yet, but you can order it right now. And the pre-orders are particularly potent for getting it stocked. So go ahead and buy a copy. Again, 31 Day Food Revolution. I wrote this book for you and for everyone who wants a practical tool to help them change the world. So uh, enjoy it and know that you are part of the food revolution every time you make a conscious choice with your food choices to stand for health for you and for our planet. Thank you, Ocean. And and give my love to your mom and dad because they were both very instrumental in my growth and I love them to pieces. So take good care. All the best. Everybody else, stay with us because what we are going to do after this break is talk about favorite things for the holidays coming, and we're also going to talk to a whole lot of people's favorite person, at least favorite culinary person, and that is the food whisperer, J.L. Fields. Greetings, friends. I'm Jim Blake, CEO of Unity World Headquarters. From all of us at Unity Village, we wish you a joyous and blessed holiday season. May this time of year for you be filled with magic, miracles, and unending peace. Namaste. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. 
This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling, those sights that we're seeing, those sensations that we're experiencing, and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm. As we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation, remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. If you're looking to deepen your spiritual journey, Unity Magazine is your go-to source for information and inspiration. It's been beautifully redesigned and packed with interesting articles and compelling interviews from today's spiritual thought leaders. You'll find science, spirituality, and healing with a look at Eastern philosophies, meditation, as well as completely new ways to interpret the Bible. Plus, reviews on the latest spiritual books and music. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Follow Unity Online Radio on Facebook and Twitter and stay up to date with all your favorite shows. Become a fan by clicking the like button. You can join in with a Facebook Live event or just like and share our post. Be the first to find out about any big special guests that might be appearing on the air or any events at Unity Village. We want to hear from you. Make sure you leave any questions or comments about Unity programming. Thanks for listening. Enroll in the Mystery School with Maggie Whitehouse every Monday at 2 p.m. Central. Based in the U.K., Maggie is a maverick priest, comedian, and writer that'll introduce you to all things mystical. Join in the conversation with some fascinating guests and explore topics like Kabbalah, the divine feminine, shamanism, and a lot more. Explore some new ideas and provocative topics, all delivered with a sense of humor. Check out our online schedule or get the podcast on demand here on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back to the program. If you are new to the world of Main Street Vegan, do check us out at MainStreetVegan.net. we got a blog. We've got an academy. We've got all kinds of stuff going on. Brand new movie coming this winter, A Prayer for Compassion to Interest People Who Identify as Religious or Spiritual in Moving in a Vegan Word Direction. So anything that we can do for you to help you along this journey, 
That's what we're there for, MainStreetVegan.net. And it is a pleasure to present to you a great friend of mine and of Main Street Vegan, unless you know her already, because this is J.L. Fields, and I feel like everybody knows her already. (laughs) She was here as an instructor at Main Street Vegan Academy, and somebody walked off with my copy of her book, and they say that the books that are most stolen from libraries are the Bible and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And those are both books that change people's lives. So you know what, JL, you are in good company. That book (laughs) is called Vegan Meal Prep, ready to go meals and snacks for healthy plant-based eating. And oh my gosh, this is a revolutionary book. It's set up differently from any cookbook you have ever seen before. It is so practical, so helpful, so useful. You just need to go out and get it for yourself and your mom and all your friends, whether they happen to be vegan or plant-based or just regular people living on earth. Jail Fields is remarkable. She can tell you a little bit more about yourself. But what I want to tell you is that one of the students at this week's Main Street Vegan Academy came up to me on our field trip and she said, Jail Fields is my spirit animal. Welcome, <laughs> Jail." Hey, how you doing? I'm great. I'm so happy to be talking to you now, and I can't believe I just got to see you at the Main Street Vegan Academy. I'm so happy to be back on your show. Oh, thank you. We'll get to talk more now than we did when you were in town. I know. So (laughs) give us your take. People know you for your air fryer book, your pressure cooking book, and that you and I did Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook. Tell us about this one. Well, I'm ex- first off, thank you for the very nice things you said about the book. I, you know, I think you know this because you've been writing books for so long that every time you're writing a book, you feel like this is the book, right? This is the book that I wanted to write. <laughs> and I have to say, the thing that is in common with this book, Vegan Meal Prep, with my vegan air fryer book, with vegan pressure cooking, is that it represents exactly how I cook. I think in these days with all of the blogs going on, with all the YouTubers out there and a whole bunch of books uh, out there, it's very easy to kind of look at, well, what are people buying? And I'm going to create a book like that. And I am so proud that any book I've ever worked on or written is a book that is authentic. It's how I cook. It's how I eat. And, you know, I was a used my pressure cooker for years. So it made sense to write vegan pressure cooking. I bought an air fryer and fell in love. It made sense to write that. When you and I collaborated on the Main Street Vegan Academy, the recipes that I provided are very much the way I cook and the way I eat and reflected my Main Street in Stronghurst, Illinois. And with vegan meal prep, it's the same thing. For years, the way I've been able to stay on track is that I spend a little time in the kitchen on the weekend and I have food ready to roll all week long. And that's basically what this book is, except that I really hold the reader's hand throughout the entire process to make sure that it's very simple, very easy, and that they are ready to roll for the week. And that's one of the things that's so terrific about it, because I think a lot of people would be more willing to eat this way, but it's just so acultural. It's not the kind of food they grew up on or they don't think it is. And so you really make it um, friendly. That's very important. 
Well, and I make a point to also, you know, I really didn't use the, the recipes are very simple. Um, in fact, you know, there have been people who are like, well, it seems like the recipes are kind of simplistic. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going for. You know, I wanted uh, ingredients that people have in their home. There might be a few ingredients that might be new to somebody if uh, if they're new to plant-based or vegan, eat, vegan eating, like maybe miso paste, for instance. But other than that, it's basically things that you have in your pantry or your freezer or your refrigerator. And very simple ways to get all of that food together so you can put it in container and and eat. You know, I just had lunch today with something that I prepared yesterday. I did all my meal prep on Tuesday because I was flying back from New York on Monday. And I've been able to reheat every breakfast, lunch, and dinner yesterday, today, and for the rest of the week. Oh, very efficient. So <laughs> vegan meal prep, ready-to-go meals and snacks for healthy plant-based eating by J.L. Fields. That is my first da-da-da-da, favorite things for holiday gifting this year. The cookbook for the cook on your list or the wannabe cook or anybody who eats. And now I just want to come down to uh, another favorite thing. This is another book, but this one's for kids. You might remember if you listen to the show regularly that we had on a while back the author of a children's book <clears throat> called Sprig the Rescue Pig, which was so cute, Aww. utterly delightful, enchanting, and profound are words that reviewers have used for that. Well, uh, she has a brand-new cookbook, a brand-new book now, and that is called Gwen the Rescue Hen. And all of those same adjectives could apply to it. And what is really cool about Gwen the Rescue Hen being my favorite thing this year to give to small people is that if you order it from the publisher stonepeerpress.org they will give 25% of the cover price to United Poultry Concerns. So stonepeerpress.org and they'll do this 25% for either Gwen the Rescue Hen or Sprig the Rescue Pig. So you may as well give the kids on your list both of these beautiful books and we will put um, that URL, stonepeerpress.org, and the names of the books in the uh, show notes at MainStreetVegan.net so the little ones on your list can get something wonderful, and we can help out the good people at United Poultry Concerns, too. So, pretty cool. So, JL, uh, <laughs> back to you. <laughs> Give us some advice. Just. Give us some lifestyle advice. You know at Main Street Vegan, we're certifying vegan lifestyle coaches. What is the vegan lifestyle or is it a lifestyle? Mm, wow, that is the question of the day, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I do think it's a lifestyle because, you know, uh, what I learned and, and really learned when I went through your very first Main Street Vegan Academy, I'd only been vegan for just about a year, was that, you know, obviously we get focused on the food. Clearly, we're making a food choice five, seven, or more times a day. And so that's a big part of what it means to choose to be vegan and to not eat animals and to not be a part of cruelty. But obviously, you know, what we wear, uh, our shoes, our clothes, the, the comforter we use on our bed, the makeup that we put on our skin... All of those things we have to think about when we think about choosing as as best as possible a cruelty-free lifestyle. And I think that a lot of times people kind of feel like, okay, I made this decision, so I need to be all or nothing. I'm 100% or not. And I don't think we give ourselves enough room 
to grow into this very ethical and compassionate decision we've made. And, and what I mean by that, I remember having lots of shoes that weren't vegan after I went vegan and I had them in my closet for a very long time because I couldn't get rid of them. I didn't have money to go out and buy an, an entire new, new wardrobe. What I did find as I grew in my eat veganism was that I was more inclined to wear the only two pairs of vegan shoes I had. And then ultimately I donated them to a domestic violence shelter. But I think, you know, I just told myself each time I go out to buy something new, I'm going to replace what I used to use with the cruelty-free and vegan version of that, whether it was my makeup, my shampoo, my boots, my comforter, my pillows. And I think that if we give ourselves that room to grow and make those conscious decisions, I, I, I think that it's going to be much easier to stick with it. Mm, I love that. And we can be slow and gentle on ourselves. And it just gets to the point. It's like you say, my last pair of non-vegan shoes were some shoes I really liked and I held on to them for a long time and they had heels and they had a cute little strap across them and they lasted forever because I only wore them to speak. I live in New York City. You don't do a lot of wearing heels about in your regular (laughs) life running around on concrete. And I kept them and kept them and kept them until one day it was just like, how, how can you have this in your space? So one day it was okay. I hadn't bought them after I went vegan but it was just time not to keep those anymore. So I like how you think. I want to give another favorite thing. Now, this is a big holiday gift. Some of these things are going to be smaller and more like stocking stuffers. This is how about a big, fat, fabulous New York City vegan vacation. Mm. So New York City vegan vacations are three-day weekend escapes filled with food, fitness, friendship, and fun, and seeing New York City from a local's perspective while enjoying the kind of of vegan dining that you like. So if you are into super, super healthy, they'll take you there. If you're into super gourmet, you get that. If you want to do Broadway shows, eco-friendly shopping, whatever it is, this is a really hand-created vacation for you and your family. And uh, Lisa Snow, the founder, is vegan, and she's very used to working with mixed families. So maybe you and your in-laws and your parents are coming, and some of you are vegan and some of you aren't. She makes it work so that everybody's happy and everybody goes home feeling like they had a fabulous vacation. And you can find out about those at nycveganvacations.com. And I will put that information on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Who knows? Maybe one of these days I'll run into you in Times Square. So, (laughs) JL, speaking of local places, You are really active in your local vegan community in Colorado Springs, where you live live now. So tell us, how do you do that? How can the rest of us do that? Yeah, you know, when I moved to Colorado Springs, I was so excited to find out that there was, you know, a great vegan group, uh, a meetup that was meeting. Now there are two, uh, lots of vegan options around town. You just have to look for them. But what I wanted to do was what... I tell lots of people, especially vegans who live maybe in smaller communities, our our city is over 400,000 with sprawl, maybe 600,000, is that I think that sometimes the best, if we're like, I want to do something in my community and I'm not sure what, I always say, what is it that you want to do that doesn't exist right now and make it happen? And so for me over the last five years, 
that's really evolved, but there are two signature things that I work on that I, I love, I'm proud of, and they're just right up my alley. And one is, you know, five years ago, this month, I put on the first ever vegan holiday pop-up market in Colorado Springs, and we had 65 people, and people were blown away that so many people came. I think I had eight vendors. Well, this past fall, I did my fall markup, and we had 1,000 people come, and we had 38 vendors, and we now do it at the Fine Arts Center on the Colorado College campus, and our next holiday pop-up market is Saturday, just in a few days, and we have 41 vendors. We'll probably have 700 to 1,000 people, and it's a great way to show people that vegan things are being made in town, whether it's food, drink, jewelry, clothing, whatever it might be. And we have vegans in town who want to shop, and so it kind of hits both things. It's like, let's get our vegan dollar going in town. And then my second event that I started last year was Colorado Springs Vegan Restaurant Week. Now, we don't have enough restaurants to really have our own vegan restaurant, restaurant week. So I invited restaurants to be a part of it. And last year we had two vegan restaurants and six non-vegan restaurants. So eight restaurants participated. And this year I do it around World Vegan Day. This year we had 23 restaurants, seven of which are vegan. We now have seven vegan restaurants in Colorado oh. Springs. And um, and they just made, they just, you know, people spent thousands and thousands of dollars ordering you know, hundreds and hundreds, if not over a thousand vegan plates over a three day period. And it was, it was great. The restaurant saw that there was a vegan demand in town. And there was not that much of a vegan demand when you got there. You really brought veganism. Can you just give us a couple of minutes on what you did when you got there in case anybody else is moving and wants to veganize a community? Well, you know, what I'll say is I think that I've just done things that are highly visible. There was a very vibrant vegan community before I got here. But what I do is a little bit different. I came into town and I had a book coming out. And so I kind of got known with with my first book, Vegan for Her. And then I started doing these events. And now I write for the daily paper. It's called the Colorado Springs Gazette. And I write a monthly vegan dining column. And I've done that for over four and a half years now. So, so what I do is just highly visible. But I do think because of that work of of uh, the Gazette, the daily paper, highlighting vegan food once a month, I think it did send a message out to restaurants that there was a demand and that they might even get covered for it. And I think as that happened, you know, actually something kind of synchronistic that I think is so cool is the very first vegan bar the burrowing owl, they debuted at one of my holiday markets three years ago. They tested out their theory around a drink. It's called the mother with agave, apple cider vinegar and whiskey, believe it or not. And it's delicious. Um, and some very simple TVP uh, taco meat nachos, and they debuted them at our market. People loved them. They opened the following June, and they've been thriving ever since. And when they did well, other people felt emboldened to open their own vegan restaurant. And I think that's why we have seven vegan restaurants now. Oh, that's wonderful. I love it. And I still think you, you were the great catalyst, but that's because <laughs> I'm crazy about you, and I'm just going to think it. So I want to share another um, – favorite uh, holiday gift and and this is jewelry so this is if you've got friends who are gems and you want to give them some jewelry with a, a vegan um, thought behind it and an ahimsa kind of uh, little bit of leaning if you can check out sundarajewel.com that's s-u-n-d-a-r-a jewel.com 
And these come from Sandy Nasanowitz. She's in the Hudson Valley up here in New York. The word Sandara comes from the Sanskrit word that means beautiful. And that's interpreted as your inner beauty flowing from grace and wisdom. So the history of this company is that Sandy had a serious injury back in 2011, and she was unable to teach yoga, which had been her profession up to that time. So she got into jewelry design as a kind of way to heal and forget about some of the other things that she was going through and stay connected to the concentration, contemplation part of yoga. But as her injuries healed, she discovered that she loved creating what she calls hip and holy bling. <laughs> which encourages wearing one's compassion for all the world to see. So do check out the jewelry there at sundarajewel.com. Okay, JL. Can I can I jump in and you, you our friend Bonnie Goodman in Montana? Oh, yes, I have Bonnie been Goodman to her Montana. amazing studio. It's called More Dam Art, which um, is just what you think, M O R D A M art.com, and she makes beautiful jewelry. I wear them all the time. I have black cats on my ears right now, but she also makes jeweled um, doorknobs for like your bat, for your uh, kitchen drawers or bathroom drawers or Closet drawers. I have them on my um, closet drawers, and I think of Bonnie all the time because she's an amazing activist in Livingston, Montana. Oh, she is absolutely stunning. Yeah, love Bonnie. So that's moredamart.com. Yep. I'm just looking it up to make sure. Yeah, it's M O R D A M A R T.com. Wonderful. Terrific. Hey, Bonnie. (laughs) So lots of talented vegans out there in the world. So, JL, you are really an expert in the vegan business world. I mean, this is why you teach at Main Street Vegan Academy and you work privately with, with people to help them in their vegan businesses. So for somebody who's looking at 2019 as the year that they finally get their business down into a business plan and maybe out into the world, what's your advice for new business folks? My advice for people who are starting a new vegan business, whether that's services, and I, I probably focus more on services, truthfully, like coaching um, or consulting, is to to remember that even though you might be new at the vegan side of it, you're likely bringing years of experience and skills that are going to help you be better. I think sometimes people then experience the imposter syndrome thinking, okay, well, I'm a dedicated vegan, but I'm not sure if I can do this. So if you wanted to start consulting with vegan nonprofits, for instance, if you already knew how to do that work with nonprofits, you got it. You're not an imposter. You know how to do it. And you're now a passionate vegan. And so communicate that out and let people know what you know, why you're driven and what you want to do. And I think when you're very clear about what your vision and your mission is and you communicate that clearly, that's going to set you on the path. Now, that's sort of the the 30,000 foot response. But the practical response I'm going to say to you is that many of you have this desire to start something and it's very easy to not do it if you don't give yourself a hard goal. So ask yourself, how much do you need to earn as a professional next year as you're working and make that a hard goal? And then you ask yourself, and what do I have to do each week and each month to get to that goal? And then you schedule things in your calendar to make yourself do it. It's very easy to have big ideas. You have to prioritize making them happen. Very, very wise. And just everybody listening, don't throw your dream away. 
even if it seems too big or like you can't do it or you can't do it now, hold on to it because you may be the only one who has it. And maybe it's just what the world needs and just what the animals need. So speaking of animals, I want to talk about a vegan business that is just going crazy. You may have already heard of it. It's called Wild Earth. And this is a gift for your dog. <laughs> Wild Earth is going to come out with a, a dog food um, next year. But right now, it's just dog treats. And what they have harnessed, this is something that is very much close to your heart, JL, and that is the power of umami. Just give us a definition <laughs> of umami, and then I'll go on and talk some more about these dog treats. So umami is a Japanese culinary cuisine that's referred to as the fifth flavor. So we know sweet, salt, sour, and what's the other one? I always forget the other one. Um, Salt, sour, sweet. Anyway, and umami is the sense of meatiness, but it doesn't require meat. It's this aroma and this way of bringing out flavor that gives you a sense of satiety and gives you um, this feeling of a meatiness as you take a bite into something. And that's what these people have done for dogs. And people who listen to the show know that getting my little dog to eat vegan consistently has been a struggle. He's doing it now, but it's kind of like in AA. He's doing it a day at a time. And what is so cool about these dog treats is that they have captured the umami of koji, which is a kind of fermented mushroom. And I can see my little guy beg for these things like, this is the best food you've offered me since we've been vegan. (laughs) And it has all 10 essential amino acids. It's a whole food. It's considered a clean protein. No animals were harmed. The environmental impact is far less than conventional agriculture. So check out those Wild Earth dog treats at wildearth.com and give your dog a very merry Christmas Hanukkah that's just passed, but it could be belated, Kwanzaa, New Year's, etc. I know Harry's getting... <laughs> Tell us about your new dog. You have a new member of your family. Yes, we adopted a, a dog this summer. His name is Harry. He was surrendered to our local Humane Society. And when we got him, he was eight months old. He is a pug chihuahua mini pincher, and he <sighs> is the sweetest thing ever. And my cat, Oliver, even likes him too. Oh, wow. Well, that that says a lot. <laughs> so I just want to quickly go through the rest of these favorite things that maybe even your cat, Oliver, would like. Uh, <laughs> But humans, for sure. I want to talk about a stocking stuffer that is, to me, absolutely amazing. It's Tate's Odorless Nail Polish Remover. And I just want to say, none of these things I'm talking about are sponsors or anything. I don't get any money or kickback. Most of these people don't even know I'm talking about them today, although so I suppose I should let them know. But this nail polish remover smells like nothing. You would think it was water but it absolutely melts off nail polish, and it's only made from water and minerals. It actually can be used as a nail conditioner. It's really remarkable stuff, and the website is OurTateFamily.com. Then I want to address the eco-warrior on your list with another stocking stuffer, and that is a glass straw in a protective holder with a cleaning brush. The one I have is from GNR Home. You can get that on Amazon. 
And as we know, there have been more than half a million straws and stirrers picked up by environmental groups just in the last little while. They pose a real danger to animals like sea turtles and albatross and and seals and fish can eat them. So if we can cut down on our straw consumption and start carrying around a cute little glass straw with a holder and a cleaner, that's all very cool. And that's a great big old long Amazon link, so I'll put that on the show notes and um, hope that we'll just make the world a little bit cleaner. So tell me, JL, what does the author of all these cookbooks, including the new vegan meal prep, have for holiday meals? Oh, you know what? I love a traditional meal made compassionately every single year, even though I know I could do a zillion vegetable forward kinds of things. And I do, I I make a really fun quinoa, uh, cranberry and pecan salad, but I love what you can find at the store these days. Vegan roasts that are delicious. Tofurky led the way. We have Gardein. We have Trader Joe's. We have Field Roast. And then just making all of those yummy sides that I grew up with, but making them vegan with plant-based milk, with vegan butter, with a variety of vegan eggs. And I think it's a great way to honor family memories and to take a bite into something and know that you are eating something you love that you grew up with, but you made a choice to make it compassionate and ethically. That sounds absolutely delicious. So we're going to be taking off for a couple of weeks for holiday break. We'll be back on Wednesday, January 2nd with Keith Tucker from Hip Hop is Green. May you have a beautiful holiday season and a wonderful first day of the new year. And we'll be back together on that second day talking about living compassionately, loving life, being healthy, and just being your very best self. Thank you so much for being part of my 2018, and I look forward to being part of your 2019. So go to MainStreetVegan.net for the show notes to find those favorite things. God bless you, and eat your veggies. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark, on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.